Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Hey, everybody, welcome to our Oikos Ministries Facebook Live. Uh, we took last week off. I, I want to apologize. I forgot to uh, tell everyone I'd be off last week, but my wife and I had a little quick trip to San Antonio, Texas for our 40th anniversary. It wasn't our anniversary. It was back in August, but we did this to celebrate 40 years of marriage. And so we're back and we're ready to go once again. So if you uh, want to catch up, we're doing a series now on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And uh, I believe it was uh, just such a fantastic word as Jesus began to initiate the kingdom of God. So if you'd like to catch up on this, if you've not heard any of the other teachings, you can go and visit our website, www.housechurchesusa.com. And you can uh, hear this whole series and many other teachings that are on our site and peruse through there. They got some good stuff and can even teach you how to have a house church at your own place. So uh, it's a blessing that you're here. Welcome. And I pray that you'll be blessed by what's said and done here in the next moments. We're in Matthew six tonight. Uh, but I want to do a little short review on what we've been dealing with. Uh, I apologize. We're running a little late this evening, but uh, I, I want to review a little bit of what we've gone through. The, the Sermon on the Mount lasts from Matthew chapter five through chapter seven, all the way through chapter seven. And it's uh, quite a great teaching. And Jesus, as he's teaching, uh, of course, he had, you know, of course, he had his miraculous birth and then he was baptized by John and he received the Holy Spirit. And then he went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for in chapter four and in chapter five, he sits down and begins to teach his disciples. And it's the inaugural sermon on the kingdom of God and the, the king of the kingdom is here. And he would transition us from the nation of Israel to the kingdom of God, where it would be not just a bloodline people, but the people who would be birthed by faith in Christ would be, would come to know him. And so as he began to teach this, in Matthew chapter five, he started with the five, the nine blessings called the Beatitudes. Uh, the, the, we've gone through all that, those nine characteristics. I, I believe they're the, the, the real DNA characteristics that come with the new birth. Uh, and then he goes on to teach us, uh, uh, that the, he didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. He came to fulfill them. And we went into that discussion and that teaching that the fulfilling of the law was really the shedding of blood by Jesus. Then we went into this, uh, this idea of, uh, of an exceeding righteousness. That was our second teaching uh, or, or second part of the sermon, exceeding righteousness. We in chapter in, in the second part and the third part of these teachings, we cover that. So in the second part of accept your righteousness would exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no way enter the kingdom of God. So he was fixing to take the kingdom into new elevation, new heights that were humanly impossible to attain to. And what he was showing us is that the kingdom come or the kingdom God that he was ushering in, the king of the kingdom would now come in and make it possible to live something that was higher than the law of the scribes and Pharisees an imputed righteousness that was uh, only found in him. We'll talk about that a little later, so I won't go into great detail on it. <laughs> 
And so the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ and the atoning work of his blood, his blood fulfilled the law. So Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. So the law has no part uh, insofar as righteousness sake, but the commandments of God still are very much in effect. And not only did Jesus not do away with them, that's what we dealt with in the second part of exceeding righteousness. He upped them. He said in the Old Testament, you heard you should not uh, murder. I say you shall not even be angry with your brother. He said in the Old Testament, you heard you should not commit adultery. I say don't even look to lust. And so he was taking it so far out of the way. The law, no one ever kept the law. And now he was taking it to a place where it's absolutely humanly impossible. And it was going to be only made possible as the kingdom would come, that the blood of Jesus would make us a new creature in him, a new heart and a new spirit would he give us in that covenant. And then he would give us the Holy Spirit of grace, the spirit of grace that we could live what he commanded. What a wonderful teaching. And so we go to the uh, the fourth or the fourth part. Yes, it was uh, called the secret devotions. And he taught on almsgiving. He taught on prayer. And he taught on fasting. So those three things that he called the secret devotion, he went out of his way to make sure that these kind of devotions were not done in public displays, but in the private and secret chamber, we met with God in almsgiving, giving to the poor, and in praying and in fasting. We would do these things not for public display or for people to look at us and say, oh, you're a really, really, really good Christian. No, it was done where it was done in secret and the father could reward it openly. And so we dealt with that in part five, which is the last teaching we did. I call that teaching treasure in heaven, treasure in heaven. And so he told us to to not uh, look for earthly treasure. He said that uh, where moth and rust is corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But he said rather seek for treasure in heaven. And I wanted to review all that so we kind of build up to where we are right now. And so in the idea of treasure from heaven, he said, uh, here's where we'll get to. We'll just kind of segue into the teaching I want to deal with tonight. We'll revisit what his encounter with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to him and said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what does the commandment say? And what did Moses teach? He said, he said, honor your father and mother. You should not kill. You should not commit adultery. And he went on through and he said, love your neighbors yourself. And 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 uh, and the young man said, all these I've kept from my youth. What lack I yet? Jesus said, go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. You shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Well, there's a great telling idea of what it means to have treasure in heaven and literally giving to the poor and literally investments into those who could never return back what you've given them. And he, so he says that you should have treasure in heaven. And we looked in that word treasure, and it's the same where, place where we get the idea of thesaurus or the or a word treasure. That's what a thesaurus is. It gives us all kind of synonyms and antonyms and all that for words. And so we, we, we learn word usage. So when we, we look at it, he said you'd have treasure in heaven, when I consider that the, the word of God is greater than silver and gold, the gods of the nations are silver and gold, but those who worship those idol type things uh, are dead. I mean, they have eyes, but they can't see, ears, but they can't hear, noses, they can't breathe, mouths, they can't speak. 
They can't walk. They can't talk. And he said, the people who make idols uh, are just like the idols. And so is everyone who believes in them, that they're lifeless people, but they have a vain religion, if you would, a dead religion, if you would. And I believe many who claim to be Christian, many who claim to be Jewish, many who claim a lot of religious claims are as dead as a doornail. And you know it. Some of you listening to this teaching right now, you have no life and you're faithful to your religious organization or whatever it might do in your religion. But you're not alive in God and you know it. And in your heart of hearts, you know it. You might try to do everything you can to convince yourself. But where is the life of God inside of you? And so he said, sell what you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And the young man went away sad because he was very wealthy. And so Jesus said, how hardly will it be for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And so the disciples were taken back by this thinking because in the old covenant, the true uh, blessing of the old covenant was financial prosperity. Now, one of the errors in our generation right now is to take that and and we really, when we say blessing now, everybody immediately goes cha-ching. We really think that blessing means money or some material thing is coming in. See, what I believe was very revealing about the rich young ruler is this. He knew the last six commandments. He knew the horizontal commandments. Good humanitarian. Be a good neighbor to other men. Be Do good among your peers and people. But the vertical commandment, the vertical command, the first four commandments, you should have no God before me, no vain image. Uh, keep the, the, do not take the name of the Lord in vain and remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Those vertical commandments that govern how we relate to the Godhead, his God was revealed that day in a simple encounter with Jesus. Jesus said, go sell what you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And the young man went away sad. See, to me, this is the breaking point. And this is what Jesus was ushering in. A new covenant, a kingdom of, that would, would, would and, and entering into that covenant would cause you to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. This young man wanted heaven, but he wanted earth too. He wanted both. And, and, and what Jesus was showing, you cannot have them both. You cannot have uh, uh, the world and have Christ. You cannot do it. And I know there's a lot of people right now who's shaking their head. Oh, yes, you can. No, you cannot. And I don't care what tricks the false prophets of the day are trying to tell you. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that's what he goes on to teach. He said, uh, but let's stay with the rich young ruler just for a few more minutes. Stay with me just for a second, because he went away sad. His disciples were taken back. No, I mean, how who can be saved if this young man can't be saved? Who could be saved? And then it hit dawn on the disciples. Hey, we left everything and followed you. And Jesus reinforced that. Yes. And in the kingdom to come, you're going to you're going to sit with me judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And in the book of Mark, it even says, and now you'll even receive more now in this life. And so the idea of selling out in your in your earthly estate. This goes across the thinking of so many today. And when it really comes down to putting your money where your mouth is, putting finance on the line. And look, I'm not about to start with some exploiting of finance right now. I'm not trying to get your money. We do just fine. Uh, I'm just saying the fact is when Christians are called to the task of putting their money where their mouth is, many go away sad. They got a lot of folks who will not 
invest, in particular when it comes into uh, investing in the poor where there is absolutely no way to get your finance back. None. There is no way. And so uh, it's amazing to me uh, how the prosperity messages of today only work in industrialized countries. You take this into poverty nations and it doesn't work as well. I mean, they still use it. Don't get me wrong. They still do it. Uh, but it doesn't work this way. As a matter of fact, the big boys from here in America don't want no part of a third world nation because there's just no money in it. And even if they do go, they exploit the poor. And I've watched and I've, I've seen it happen. So my point is simply this. How many of us as the rich young ruler are looking? We want the world, but we want Christianity, too. I'm telling you, that is not a, a reality that is, is impossible. It cannot be done. You can't have the world and the kingdom of God too. It cannot be done. The devil will be glad to share you. God will not. It won't be done. If you'll follow along in this teaching, let's read some verses. We're still in chapter six of Matthew. In verse 19, he says, lay not up for yourselves treasure where uh, upon the earth, where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust is corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, when a, a value, look, when we talk about the kingdom come, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here comes the king of the kingdom. He comes in and begins this series of teachings and he gets right down to the heart of it. A cataclysmic shift that shows the characteristics of the new birth and the citizenry of the kingdom of God. Then it shows that, that there would be a righteousness that would far exceed what the Jews were experiencing. There would be a, 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 a powerful holiness in the people of God. And then he shows and he gets down to the nitty gritty in your devotions, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and then, wow, your money where your mouth is. Do you serve God or do you serve money? He said, where your heart is, there will your treasure be. I have found this. And, and it's ironic that the word, the Greek word for treasure is thesaurus. All right. It's pretty ironic there because the fact that when I became a Christian, the word of God changed me. Every word of God is pure. Every word of God is from heaven. Every word of God is if this book. The Bible is God breathed and every bit of it. Don't talk to me. Well, Paul wrote that and this one wrote that and Peter wrote that. No, the Holy Ghost wrote the book from cover to cover. So don't tell me about who said what and who. I'm telling you, the whole book is written by the Holy Ghost. And I got news for you. The Holy Ghost is God. And so the word of God became my treasure. And so this scribe has treasured new and old. I pull treasure out of the old covenant. I pull treasure out of the new because all of it points to one thing. And it's our Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. And his relation to us is that he now in the kingdom come has redeemed us from our sin by the atoning work of Jesus. And now he lives inside of us through the person of the Holy Spirit. We're in the greatest age ever the kingdom has come and he comes to live inside of us. Oh, I'm stirred. Here, the, the treasure, where your treasure, see, if you don't treasure God's word, if the word of God is not more valuable to you than anything, then look, I got one thing left that I stand on and it's God's word. I will not surrender that ground. Ain't going to happen. 
It's the word of God, the God breathed, inspired word of God. I'll not back up. This is God's word and I will not back up from it. I want every bit of it. Hallelujah. All right. So watch carefully. Then he goes into some analogy. The light of the body is the eye. Now, I love what the King James Version does here. He says, if your eye be single. If your eye is single, you'll, your body will be full of light. And so the eye lets in the illumination. It, it, you see the things around you. Now, there are many people who have physical sight who are blind as a bat, who have no spiritual um, illumination, if you would. They have not seen. They, the eyes of the understanding have not been enlightened. Uh, and so the, the basically you're trying to cognitively reason the Bible uh, in, in carnal knowledge. And it, it's just a, oh, it, it, it's really stench. I mean, I, you, you just it's just really a terrible exercise. And so when you say the light of the body is the eye. And so here we have people who may be uh, physically able to see. You see, the, the, when your body, your eye lets in the light, you, you begin to see and perceive. Perception is done through the senses and you allow something into your eye. Now, the, the King James Version says, if your eye be single, if your eye be single, that word single in the Greek language, it means to fold up like a napkin. Basically, if your eye is literally all put together in a, in a, in a, in a, it's not all in disarray. It, it, it's all single. Another word that it's used, that, that it literally responds to or is, is parallel to is braided or plaited together. That, that your thoughts aren't all over the map. You're not about a million different things. If your eye is single, the Apostle James puts it this way. He said a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. If your eye is single, it, your body will be full of light. But if your eye be evil, isn't that a, a terrible or a, a wonderful contrast? Single and evil. That basically a double minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And you say, if you say, I love Jesus, but I love uh, I love football and basketball and I love this and I love this and I love all the things of the world. and I love this and I like getting drunk and I love this and I love this and I love uh, that's an evil eye. And if the eye, if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You stop and think this through. There is a religious darkness that you believe you're saved and you ain't no more saved because you're trying to have you got a foot in both kingdoms. We need a we need a contest today, kind of like Elijah had. If 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 God is God, serve him. If Baal's God, go serve him. Don't try to. You're not going to have both worlds. It cannot be done. All right. And so he said, the light of the body is the eye. If your eye is single, the whole body will be full of light. If your eye is evil, then your body will be filled with darkness. And if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, I believe he takes these two analogies. If you look at that, he takes this uh, analogy of, of uh, the light of the body, eye, evil, uh, eye uh, single or evil. Then he goes to another one. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I mentioned this in our last uh, teaching. And mammon was a, a, a really a demon spirit, a demon God that was uh, a little G God 
that the, I think the Chaldeans were the ones who really coined this phrase. And mammon, it literally, it, it was a correlation with, with all money. And so, but it's really not saying God and money. It's saying God and mammon, a demon behind finance. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot do both. Now, folks, I, I understand the kingdom of God and, and the financial issue here. And I don't want to try to make you think I'm double speaking. Money is a tool. And when it becomes something more than that, then it becomes very problematic. I love what John Wesley used to say. Anytime I get riches, I give them away as quickly as I can before they find their way into my heart. And I want to tell you, money will talk, find its way into your heart. Notice what that teaching said before, where your heart, your, your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, when your eye perceives something, it will not process through the brain unless you in your heart value it. Am I making any sense to you? Your eye might perceive something, but it will not process through the brain unless your heart values it. So think that through. Uh, you know, if, if, if you show me a high heel sneaker, I have zero value. Says I, I, I don't want that. Don't want to process that. You can show it to me. Don't want to look at that. It's got no value in my thinking whatsoever. And so when you see that, it just is immediately dismissed. And if our eye is single, we will learn to dis dismiss the world. We just say, ah, that's not my kingdom. I'm from another kingdom. I'm from another planet. I have another value system. And so your eye is single and you begin to process through kingdom thinking. He said where your treasure is, if you don't value the kingdom of God, uh, the storehouse of my heart, I try to keep it full of the word of God. I value the word of God more than silver and gold. It's more value than money. And so I, I try to fill my heart with God's word and keep it full of God's word. And I, I don't want it to get rote or just uh, uh, a head full of knowledge. I want it to be uh, really the manifestation of the kingdom come and the grace of God. I want it to be a living word, not just some 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 dead static uh, uh, head knowledge. I want this thing to be the life and life giving thing that it's intended to be. And so the treasure, the thesaurus uh, of, of God's word is in, uh, I treasure God where my treasure is. There is my heart also. And yours can do the same. Man, you need to fall in love with God's word and begin to literally look at money. See, when you start thinking about this, how much we value money, it makes us a covetous society. America is one big, covetous, idolatrous place. It's one of the hardest nations in the world to be Christian in because of the covetousness, which is idolatry. That's what the Bible defines covetousness. Uh, that the, isn't that amazing? The last commandment and the first commandment correlate perfectly. No gods before me. Covetousness is idolatry. And listen, we're in a covetous generation, always wanting, 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 wanting. I want, 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 want. All right. So we settle the issue of where our treasure is. I want you to think about this. See, money is one of the one of the most easy, easy things for Satan to use as a, as a tool of deception that he uses money. He lies. See, that's the only tool in the devil's toolbox is deception. That's all he has. And if he can get you to believe a lie, then he can make you afraid 
then he beats you. Then you have no more faith. That's the tool of the devil. The only one he has is deception. So I treasure the truth of God's word so the lie won't penetrate me. All right. And so the, the, the deceitfulness of riches. You see, money will lie to you. Money will tell you you're OK because there's money in the bank. You're OK because the bills are paid. You're OK because you have clothes. You're OK because you're getting what you want. You're OK. You're OK. These are blessings. That's what everybody say. But we're money is a deceiver. It'll lie to you and you might have a barn full of goods and your soul is in jeopardy. And your money will keep lying to you and telling you that that all the money you have is is a sign of God's blessing. And that is a lie. You can have a lot. Look, man, there's some very rich people who are as wicked as they can be. Isn't it amazing? All these Hollywood types, they can't stay married. They commit suicide. They overdose on drugs. They're, they're literally the most wicked people on the planet. And I'm not, I mean, there's a few, there's a handful, very few decent ones over there. But let me tell you, that ought to be all the role model you need to say, man, money ain't all it's cranked up to be. Neither is fame and fortune. Yet folks keep seeking it. Seek first the kingdom. We're going there. Keep going with me. Now look what he says in verse 25. We're getting to our message for tonight. Therefore, I say to you, take no thought for your life. Now, at first reading, you say, wow, you're not supposed to ever think about your life. We know good and well, all of us think about our own lives. But the way this is worded, take no thought, this idea of taking no thought is literally a word that would say, do not let the thoughts about your life distract you. Don't let them make you anxious or the feelings of desperation. Um, These kind of things, this, this taking no thought for your life, the anxiety associated with the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that will literally choke the word of God in you. Jesus is warning against this. Take no thought for your life. And he goes into two uh, teachings here. He says, look, uh, let me just read it in its entirety. What you shall drink, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Isn't your life more than food and your physical body more than the clothes you wear? I mean, when you start thinking about, look, I've been in lots of third world nations and I want to tell you something. When I, when I look down and see every kid in the village with no shoes on and I look in and see our own closets and yet we need another pair of shoes. I mean, it's just amazing. Think about it. Clothes, we, 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 we pull in clothes and put them in bags and go throw them in the Goodwill or in a Salvation Army box and, 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 but we want more clothes. Think about it. Take no thought for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, what you shall put on is not the body or in your life more than food and your body more than clothing. And he gives these two examples. He shows that number one, he said, uh, behold, the fowls of the air. He talks, he <laughs> starts pointing out birds They neither sow nor do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much better than them? 
Then he gives an illustration and take no thought for raiment or clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow it's cast into the oven, shall not much more, uh, shall not he much more clothe you, O you of little faith. And it seems like when it comes down to the practical aspects of living, food, clothing, drink, clothing. Uh, I mean, come on, man. We become faithless. And we hurry to desperately try to earn more money. And we think money is going to answer it. Folks, I want to tell you something. At some point, we have to learn faith and, 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 and believing God. But if we're so trying to intermingle the world and, and, and the kingdom of God, this is problematic. It's not going to ever work. You have to establish one or the other. And like I said, it can get very confusing when you try to commingle. Now, does that mean we don't go out and try to work or earn or live? No, it does not mean all that. I can just tell you this much until you settle who your God really is. Then I don't believe we ought to go to step one more day into work. When you, when you, until you settle who really is your God and who really is your King, who is your Lord and who is your Savior, when you settle that, then go to work. But as long as you think it's you providing, you're literally deceiving yourself. If you are your provider, you better stay healthy. These are tough lessons to learn, brothers and sisters. But I'll tell you right now, if you don't learn these things, and a lot of you never put it to the test. You just immediately, well, Jesus, I prayed the prayer. I'm a, I'm a Christian now. And you just go on about your same life that you always had. You've never put this to the test. There's never been a significant paradigm shift in your own heart and thinking and allegiances to what you truly are loyal to and what truly is your Lord, your Savior. What truly is the treasure of your own heart? You want to test this out? I'll tell you what you do. Go get something. To see. Hey, it's a great time of year to do this. Tell everybody in your family, I'm not buying you a Christmas present. We're going to take, we're going to charge up 10 grand on the credit card and give it to people who can't give it back. People we don't even know. I mean, come on, why not? You're going to give it to your small rotten family. Why not give it to total strangers and at least have treasure in heaven. I wonder how many people just turn that off and call me a false prophet and a false teacher. And I don't understand Christianity. Keep reading. Watch what it says. Let's keep going. Therefore, therefore, because of what he just said, because he said, all right, because he said, Take no thought for your life. He said, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherefore shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. Here's the kicker. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. What? All these things shall be added to you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought of yourself, for the things of itself. 
sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I believe that verse 33 is literally a covenant with Christianity. It is literally a covenant in the kingdom come. And so he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, first, what we're dealing with is prioritizing everything Jesus talked about. He know God knows we have need of food and water and clothes and shelter and all the stuff that other people. But he totally gets that. The idea is prioritization. It's not compartmentalizing. It's prioritizing and literally coming to the point where God is my God. Jesus is my king. If we come to that resolve in our own spirit, we come to that that place in faith where we just say, I'm done with this world. And now my allegiance is to God. Now, I'm telling you, don't go after this to start because, look, God knows the heart. You know, that's a thing people love to say. God knows my heart. Yes, he does. That's a, a very true thing. The point being is that if if we're going to approach this for the motive of saying, I'm going to become Christian so God will take care of me. That's not the right motive, folks. God is the, 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 the proper motive is that you come to him saying, I am a, I am a, a sinner in much need of salvation without a salvation in my life. If I'm not saved from my sins, I am in trouble. I am in eternal damnation. And we come to him desperate with no way, no means to be clean of our wickedness and our our, our, our consciences that are so defiled with sin. And we come to God and we beg out and we cry out to God and Christ has mercy on us. Folks, hear me. When we come in with that as a desperate sinner looking to be redeemed by God and reconciled to him. The motive of our heart, God is certainly a discerner. The, word, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 that the word of God is living and powerful and, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. And so the word of God is going to find your motive out. But I want you to see this. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit. You see, he said, take no thought for your life. When everything we do is to take thought for our own life. This is the problem. This is why people are having mental and emotional problem out of the wazoo in this generation. We are anxious for our own lives because our souls are sin sickened. We've not been redeemed and you might have a head full of knowledge. You might have prayed the prayer. You might be active in church and you're still going to hell. You might be a money giver. You might tithe your money and count your blessings and sow that seed and still go into hell. None of that saves you. You see, the word of God is a discerner of the thought and intent of the heart, but it also separates soul and spirit when we are taking thought for our life. Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Wow. 
Yet we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, give me a better life. No, he don't want to give you a better life. Jesus does not want to give you a better life. He wants to kill your life. He wants your life dead. He doesn't want to make you a better person. He wants you dead. The only way you're going to ever become a better person is if you're dead. You are your biggest devil you have. And when you die with Christ, co-crucified with Christ on the cross, co-buried and that old man's gone and you co-resurrect a new creature in Christ with a new heart, and a new spirit with Christ living in you, redeemed a new heart, a new spirit. He takes your stony heart out, puts in a heart of flesh. Come on. Then it's his life in you. Take no thought of your life. Start thinking of the life of Christ. Your eyes aren't on you. It's on him. Oh, you cannot serve God and mammon. Who do you serve? Who are you the slave or the servant to? I mean, most people are just literally corrupted through anxiety right now, trying to pay the bills because you're in slavery to the debt you've created that you did it and God didn't do it. You did it. Well, I was believing God for a new car. Went down there and bought me one on credit. And he won't pay the note. What's wrong with you, God? Ain't nothing wrong with God. A whole lot wrong with us. See, this is a a taboo subject now. You're not supposed to talk about put your money where your mouth is unless it's in the context of give the preacher more money. I ain't asking for your money. What I'm telling you, hey, take take the money you thought you was going to give to your church this week. Go find somebody who's poor and give it to them. No string attached. And don't call the news channel to come and film you. Surely you will have your reward. Just give. Quit thinking about your life. Take no thought. Let it go. Then you can let go of some of them pills you're taking to make you not anxious. Maybe you cut down on your bourbon bill for for your highballs for Christmas. Well, for all three who are still watching, stay with me. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things should be added unto you. Two things. Seek first the kingdom of God. What was the message that brought Jesus to this place on the Sermon on the Mount? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within reach. The kingdom of God's at hand. The kingdom of God. The, the, listen, the greatest paradigm shift that ever took place on the planet was happening right then. The king of the kingdom was standing right in front of them saying, repent, change your thinking. Look, folks, at the very core value of the thought processes of humanity is lose your prosperity thinking because the the old covenant promised earthly prosperity. If you did this, you would get blessed materially. The New Testament doesn't. He said, we want to thank God who blessed us with all spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You see, blessed are those who are are poor in spirit. He didn't say rich. He said poor. 
Blessed are those who mourn. He didn't say the happy. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You see, the kingdom come. Hear me, folks. Jesus said, if I cast out devils with the finger of God, if I cast out devils with the finger of God, then the kingdom of God. If I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. What did he say? If I cast out devils by the spirit of God, so is the Holy Spirit, the kingdom come? Yes. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Let me tell you the righteousness of God was revealed. That little phrase, go read it. If you read the book of Romans, wonderful book. That little phrase, by the way, the book of Romans begins with obedience to the faith in chapter one. And in the chapter, the last chapter 16, it ends with obedience to the faith. There is something you do. Faith is not some abstract, invisible thing. The Bible says now faith is. We'll get back to that in just a few minutes. But for right now, I want you to think this through. The righteousness of God, that little phrase was manifested on the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no greater picture of the righteousness of God than the cross of Christ. And what Christ did for us, that God himself disrobed himself, stepped into the womb of Mary and was born a servant of men. I mean, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. God humbled himself, the creator became the creation so he could feel the pain and suffer death. He lived perfect in temptation. He would never fail. He had sinless blood. He wasn't born of a, of a man. He was born of a virgin through the Holy Ghost. And literally he died the perfect sinless sacrifice for sin. God's son died in my place. He died in your place. This is God's righteousness revealed. This is the righteousness of God. It's the end of the law for righteousness. There is no shedding of blood that will work anymore. That's why there ain't no more sacrifice there. That's why I don't, oh, I won't go, forget that. Let me tell you something. There's no more sacrifice other than the blood of Jesus Christ. God made a sacrifice for me and for you. He cut covenant with us. And now in covenant keeping, we keep the covenant by faith in his blood. That is the atonement that literally cleansed me of my sins by faith in what he did for me. <sighs> Hallelujah. And now the kingdom can come into my heart because I have I've been clean. And now the kingdom of the king of the kingdom sits as the Lord of my heart. The governor of my mind and my emotions. Oh, Hallelujah. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah. Prioritization is that get your life right. Take no thought of you. Let me tell you what you need. Here's the thoughts you need to take about your life. My life is a problem and it needs to die with Christ so that he can live in me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And now the life I live in the faith, I live by 
uh, in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. The greatest frustration to the grace of God is trying to have the kingdom of God or have your heaven and your world too. That's a frustration and literally becomes an insult and it cannot be lived out unless you forfeit salvation. Yes, you can. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, really, what are you seeking first? Now, I understand priorities. I understand work and money and needs. And I get it. I understand. And we're in a, an economy that demands lots of money. I get it. I totally get it. But let me tell you something. You're never going to bypass this foundational truth that if the very foundation of your heart isn't seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the and hear me carefully, the word of God will sort this out. It will literally discover your motive every time. If you're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then you're going about to seek your own kingdom and your own righteousness. And it'll be found out. He said, take therefore no thought for the morrow. See, taking thought. Look at that. I like that idea of taking thought. It's amazing how we take thought of our lives. How about taking? I mean, literally laying hold on thought. Uh, I, I mean to tell you, you can do this. You see, uh, Mary and Martha, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Just, oh, boy, Jesus was teaching away. And, and boy, she was, I mean, she was just enjoying the teaching. Martha's in there getting stuff ready in the kitchen. She's working and I mean, getting after it. And and, Mary, and Martha come complain, Jesus, you gonna let her sit there all day and not let me help? I don't have no help in the kitchen. He said, Martha, you're careful about many things. And that's the same word as taking thought, by the way. Boy, you're, 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 you're anxious about many things. But Mary has chosen the better of part and that won't be taken from her. Now, there's a wonderful lesson to be learned here. Prioritization. That the very foundation of Mary's heart, she wanted to, she heard Jesus teaching and just couldn't separate from it. This is a powerful thing. And so when we see the idea of being cumbered about with worrisome activity and busyness. We can easily forfeit our places in the kingdom. We can ex easily forfeit the idea of the Lordship of Christ and say, no, I'm going to take a hold of this. I'm going to take this. Nobody's doing it. I got this. Everybody step back. And boy, once you take that place, okay, God will step back and say, okay, you be God. Let's see how that works for you. And the next thing you know, you're at the doctor's office getting you some medicine to help you with your anxiety and your depression. That's how it works. Take no thought, therefore, of your, for the morrow for, or tomorrow. For tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. My Bible says, it, you notice that he said a little earlier, he said, you know, he feeds the birds. He clothes the flowers. Can you not trust him, O you of little faith? We call it little faith. Now, I, I want you to see this, folks. Don't take thought about tomorrow. I mean, t t think about this. What can you do about tomorrow? I mean, literally, you might even make it. All the things that you think are important right now, 
And look, there's some important people who have come and gone, lived and died. And I mean, important folks. Boy, we can think about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. We can think about some wonderful, important figures. You know what? Presidents of the United States. You know what? They had these big, fine agendas and they're dead. And the world didn't stop turning. It just kept going. And what you thought was important will not go on into glory with you. What you thought was valuable and you've invested in every waking moment you put money in it and you can't even take it into the kingdom with you. And you come in a pauper with nothing into the kingdom of God. If you come in at all. Some people are so poor, all they have is money. Their souls look like Holocaust victims. The psalmist said, you lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, talking about the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness with Moses. And he said, so I sent fatness. I sent you fatness to your flesh, but leanness to your souls. Oh, you ate quail and man, you ate and drank till you were full, but your souls got leaner and leaner. I want to tell you, there's some, there's some, so you look, you look like Holocaust victims. If you could see your spirit and the impoverished attitude of your spirit, you're so dried up and dead because all you do is take thought for tomorrow. And let me tell you what, your 401, your 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 life insurance, your all the stuff you work so hard to get and be a good citizen and good steward of and all that stuff won't help you one day when you stand before your maker. Not one minute. What won't add one thing to you because a man's life does not consist in the things which he possesses. Yet we want to possess more. Take no thought for the morrow. We try to live in the morrow. We try to prepare and get ready for the next. So what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? Look, man, my Bible says now faith is now. Faith don't work yesterday. You might have a wonderful testimony of your faith yesterday. Faith don't work tomorrow. That's hope. Faith only works right now. Now faith is the substance you see, the way faith is portrayed these days, there's no substance. Faith is the evidence of the unseen. Faith is the substance of hope, the edge of evidence of the unseen. It's the tangible. Faith has something you can lay your hands on. Faith is the full persuasion that God will do what he said he would do. Now, Faith is substance. But no, faith is portrayed now as some abstract thing that is in, that, that there's just this, uh, yeah, I'm saved, but you know, it may not show up now, but I'm going to go to heaven in the future. Man, that's baloney, hogwash, devilish, demonic, lying devil, satanic insanity. I can't think of enough descriptive adjectives to add to the stupidity of false salvation. Why would you want to deceive yourself that you're saved when you know good and well you're not? It's your soul that'll go to hell. It's your soul. 
Send that pack of lies packing and start doing business with God. God, I want you to be my God. Lay it down. Sell what you need to. Get rid of anything that's encumbering you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God, I lay it all down. I give it away. I don't want a thing. I'll throw this career away. I'll throw this money away. I'll throw it all away. I'll throw my inheritance away. God, I want you. Somebody got to get that desperate if you want salvation. Oh, you might want to incorporate some religion and, and compartmentalize something and get you some new religious thoughts. And, and uh, that ain't going to help you. That, that's just garbage. We're talking about the ultimate shifting of all shiftings when your your old man dies and a new creature comes up in Christ. That's the ultimate. Take no thought for tomorrow. There's enough evil today. When you're being bombarded with every evil thought and with everything trying to pull you away from the kingdom of God. That's enough wickedness and evil to deal with. Contend with what the issues are at hand. You got to live right now in the moment. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of the other unseen faith has a tangible substance. It has a physical evidence. It manifests and it may start inward in a hidden place. It's, it, it might start as a little bit of mustard seed inside and a, a little bit in the heart. But I want to tell you right now, when it comes into full blown, people will see it. Not because you're trying. You will let this light shine. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I have always taken that as a covenant that God's saying to me, if I will do his bidding, he'll do mine. And I found it to be true for 40 years, 41 years, excuse me. And he'll do it for you too. But it takes a selling out. And sometimes we need to re-up. Sometimes we need to resell out again. Sometimes if we've found that riches have found their way into our hearts, it's time to shake it up and let let those riches go away so God can be God. If that sounds irresponsible, maybe it is in worldly thinking. Maybe it is. God says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If anything. If anything is blocking you from seeking that, then maybe you have another God. And maybe it's time to get serious with it. Maybe it's time to throw down your idol. Maybe it's time to take yourself off of God's throne. Surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Well, I pray that you'll consider this. I pray that the Holy Spirit, who is the kingdom come, would get a hold of your heart and really make you reassess where you are with God. We'll get back on this thing next week. Chapter seven has some serious woes, uh, but some serious promises, too. So let's get started in chapter seven next week. God bless you. Have a great week. Go visit our website, www.housechurchesusa.com. And uh, peruse through there. There's a lot of good stuff in there that can help you out and bless you. God bless you. Have a great evening. We love you.
We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's Word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.